Welcome to Black Diplomats, y'all. This is my global affairs podcast about safety and security. I'm Terrell Starr. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about the Armenian genocide and why you should care. In case you didn't know, President Joe Biden recently recognized the Armenian genocide, which was perpetrated by the Ottoman Empire. It took years for the United States to follow other Western governments in recognizing the genocide because of present-day Turkey's NATO membership and strategic placement at the crossroads of the Middle East and Europe. Sophia Armin, an Armenian-American activist, will join me to discuss what this recognition means for Armenians. We'll also be talking about how race traffics outside of the American context and how white supremacy informs the types of genocide Armenians suffered through. Here's a little history about the genocide. At the beginning of World War I, there were around 2 million Armenians in the Ottoman Empire. By 1922, there were around 400,000. Ottoman Turks deported them from Eastern Anatolia to the Syrian desert and other locations between 1915 and 1916, where they were killed or died from starvation or disease. Mass rapes and beatings were common. Many historians, government officials, and Armenian activists say the killings were systematic, which the Turkish government has always denied. Many historians point to the rise of the officers' movement in the Ottoman Empire, dubbed the Young Turks, as a period when things got really ugly. After they captured power in 1908, they engaged in a series of attacks against Armenians as the Ottoman Empire was crumbling through military defeats. The Young Turks, who called themselves the Committee of Unity and Progress, entered World War I on Germany's side in 1914. Propaganda from the time labeled Armenians as saboteurs in a pro-Russian fifth column. The genocide, which began April 24, 1915, is the date that Armenian scholars point to as the genesis of, of everything that took place. At the beginning, the Ottoman government arrested around 250 Armenian intellectuals and activists who were later executed. Armenians also had their property confiscated and those in the Ottoman army were disarmed and killed. Keep in mind that there were massacres against Armenians in 1894, 1895, 1896, 1909, and also between 1920 and 1923. As for anyone being brought to justice, leaders of the Young Turks or the Three Pashas fled to Germany, but a group of underground Armenians called Operation Nemesis got together and tried to hunt them down. On March 15, 1921, one of the Pashas was shot dead in Berlin in broad daylight. The shooter pled temporary insanity due to the mass killings of his people, and a jury acquitted him. There are a lot of details concerning the genocide that I'm not going to get into in this introduction, but I've been advised to read a book by a, uh, a great historian by the name of Kaching Moradian, and the book is titled 
the resistance network, the Armenian genocide and humanitarianism in Ottoman Syria, 1915 through 1918. So let's get to the good part of the show. Joining me to talk about Biden's statement and recognizing the genocide is Sophia Armin. So she's also going to talk about how race functions in the context of genocide. And that's a really interesting dialogue that I'm looking forward to hearing what y'all think about because I have my own experiences, my own thoughts about how race functions in Armenia and Georgia and the rest of the Caucasus. So more about Sophia. She's an organizer, a writer, a scholar, and she's the co-director of the Armenian American Action Network, an organization dedicated to fighting anti-Armenian racism and also fights for the liberation and civil rights of the Armenian community in the United States. This was, I think, one of the, you know, my producer Mike said that this is the best conversation I've had with anybody on the show. And I really would have to agree. We had a wonderful synergy talking about race. And I'm just really excited for you all to hear the conversation. So without further ado, here it is. And again, please tell me what you think about it. Congratulations for the activism that you've all been engaged in to get the Armenian genocide recognized. And, uh, you know, it, it had to take a lot of work and effort, particularly with a country the size of Armenia. And I would like to ask you first, where was your part and seeing this come to fruition. Sure. Um, well, thanks so much for having me. I, I think to begin, it's not only that it took so much effort, it took so long. And, and I will be very honest about that. It took generations of our families. And so my piece in it, and I say this unfortunately, because it's just the truth, because we've been struggling for this for so long, is really just one generation out of three within my family who have been fighting for US recognition in the Armenian genocide. And I'm talking about people who literally were refugees who experienced it and tell me now. And this is the truth. So, you know, when I share my part in it, I just wanna make clear that this is really a Armenian collective victory for Armenians across the world who honestly have all been organizing, creating art, doing memory work for this victory to finally come to fruition. Um, myself, I am an organizer and I'm also a writer and a scholar. So this is how I've approached the Armenian genocide um, justice campaign. And I really think it's important for people to understand what we're calling for as Armenian genocide justice, because it's not merely about recognition, though that's a really important piece in our justice journey, but it's also about reparations and then true repair, right? What does that actually look like? Um, for myself, you know, I think Armenians have been <laughs> organizing um, and are politicized out of the womb. And that's how it was for me. So since we were young, 
you know, these are the stories of our families. And if we don't carry them, then they are lost, truly, particularly because we are up against very powerful geopolitical governments. You know, we are a, a completely disenfranchised community globally, structurally in this fight. And so we have had to carry our stories. So it's been everything since, you know, I was 13 and me and my parents not only were at marches, we were writing Congress people. We were meeting with folks. We are constantly in Armenian organizations. We are holding educational events with other, you know, different oppressed groups across this country and across the world. We are making sure that our family stories are well documented and preserved, right? And then spoken about on a national and an international platform. Um, and most recently, the Armenian efforts, I would say in the last three decades that have really escalated around the recognition cause in the United States, right? Have, has taken the form of mass grassroots organizing in the United States, where Armenians have essentially called into their policymakers every day of the year, not just on April 24th, which is our commemoration day, which was when Biden this year issued finally after a hundred years, the official U.S. recognition of the Armenian genocide. And tell us about the genocide. I first yeah. learned about it when I was a Peace Corps volunteer in oh, Georgia, wow. which is a neighbor to our, which is a neighbor to Armenia. And the Ottoman Empire was a vast right. empire and like all empires were brutal. And I had Georgian uh, language and cultural trainers who would explain to us how their grandparents remembered mm. that mm. period and all the atrocities that mm. took place. And it fascinated me as a, a black man from Detroit to go to this part of the world and see people who in America, you know, you know how America, uh, you being in LA, you know how we look at race and all these other things, right? You know, um, from our perspective, like it was just fascinating to me to see different groups of people who didn't look like me talk about oppression and talk about what that meant. It was a new experience to me as a young 20 something, sure. you know, uh, going over to Georgia and now that I'm 41, I, I obviously have gained a lot of experience in it. But it, it really uh, showed me how much how little I knew about other people's suffering. And it literally took me being in Georgia to really understand the Armenian genocide, but just the Ottoman Empire in general. But that's my intro to my first exposure mm -hmm. to it. But please yeah. share with us what happened sure. in Armenia so elders sure. can understand. Well, I th thanks. That's so great. I mean, I think for one, what's really important for people to understand, because this is actually the way that the Turkish government today tries to deny these <laughs> atrocities happen, is that this isn't actually a, um, a debate or a conflict between two countries. So this is actually not about Turkey and Armenia today. Um, really, this is about the Ottoman Empire, which was the Turkish government at the time, targeted its own citizens who were of Armenian, Assyrian, and Greek descent, okay, in a mass, systematic, government-sponsored annihilation campaign that was targeting literally its own Ottoman citizens. So, for example, my family, not from Armenia's current borders today, they are from 
what's considered today southeastern Turkey. And then part of my family is from Istanbul. And these were some of the major sites of the Armenian massacres by the Turkish government um, in so many ways. And I mean, Hitler even said it. This was the prototype and the roadmap for the Holocaust. But I think what is important for people to understand about it is, especially, I think, Americans, right? Because there's a kind of Orientalist construction of the Middle East, right? That's always like, well, they're always in ethnic turmoil, right? They're always just killing each other. It's a religious thing, right? But that's not what it is. What it is, is that genocide is about race and race is constructed everywhere around the world. And so during the Ottoman Empire, and it's not, I wanna make this clear, it's not limited to the Ottoman Empire because the Ottoman Empire, when it fell, turned into the Republic of Turkey. And these exact same systems of racism continue to this day. You can map them, a thorough line, okay? But the root of genocide is racism. And, and actually it was Dr. Martin Luther King who said this. He said, racism's logical conclusion is genocide. And this is when he was talking about that black Americans in the United States experienced genocide at the hands of the US government. And this is the truth. So you have to understand when we're talking about genocide, we're talking about racism. And so we're talking about the Armenian genocide was the construction of the Turk, okay, as being the superior human. And anyone who wasn't within that classification, that racial classification, wasn't just Armenians, Assyrians, Greeks, I mean, Turkish Jewish people were seen as an other that was in need of being wiped out. And so today there are so many arguments <laughs> that continue to play out from the Turkish government that actually reinforces and reinscribes those exact same racial tropes that were needed to target people like my family, right? And especially within the Middle East context today, and I think this is important for American audiences or even audiences in the West, right, to understand, is like oftentimes when powerful regimes within our region, right, are trying to target particularly minorities, right, racialized minorities, one thing that they'll do is, is that they'll call them traitors. <laughs> and this is a huge racialized term that actually ends up happening. It happens not only to um, uh, racial groups that people are targeting, but also women and LGBT groups, et cetera, right? And so this is a trope, a racial trope we see to this day, right? So for example, my family who were literally citizens of the Ottoman Empire, who deserved the same protections as everybody else who was within the Ottoman Empire, right? To this day, the Turkish government says that they were traitors, they were, you know, guerrilla revolutionaries that were rising against the state, and thus all of the nation des de uh, deserved to be killed. And these are the logics of genocide that we see over and over and over again. It doesn't matter what historical context or what group of people that you see, you see essentially the creation of a racial other and all of these excuses to justify why they all need to die. And so it's a powerful lesson, the Armenian genocide, not just for this era of the Ottoman Empire, right? But for today, the Armenian genocide is not just a historical past event that matters only to Armenians. No, it's a powerful lesson for the world with what happens when racism and the state collide, right? And we allow entire peoples to be almost wiped out. And that's the truth of the time. Almost a half of the global Armenian population of the time was annihilated or displaced. And that's really hard for people to even understand today. So what I love, you know, that you brought up is when you're talking to people in Georgia today, Armenia, right? Actually, the majority of us who are from these events are in diaspora. And this is really hard for people to understand because most communities don't live like this in the world, right? 
I mean, except for like maybe some of my friends who are Palestinian or right, who come from, for example, the African diaspora, who come from, right, these histories of just straight up racialized violence, genocide, etc. So there's more of us Armenians in diaspora than in our homeland. And that's really hard for people to conceptualize, but that's the truth. There's about 10 to 15 million Armenians in the world, scholars estimate. And we know the, the population within the region, Armenia, Turkey, right, Artsakh, et cetera, is way smaller than that. It's like 3 million-ish. Um, and so the truth of the matter is, is that is directly because of these events. And so one of the best parts of Armenian genocide recognition is finally our very existence, right, which already justify, excuse me, not justifies, which already proves the genocide happened, right? I'm not here. I'm, I'm here in the United States, in Los Angeles, not in southeastern Turkey. That proves the genocide enough. That very existence has finally been recognized by the U.S. government, who for so long instead placed its geopolitical interests and alliances with the government of Turkey above the truth of our families and was actually standing in the doorway, blocking our justice for so many generations of our families who went through this. I want to ask you, why do you think it was Biden that decided to turn the page on that outlook as opposed to Obama or anyone else before him? Yeah, I think this is a great question, right? Like timing, like why now? Because <laughs> um, actually Obama gave Armenians a lot of hope. I got to say so many Armenians I know really organized for the Obama campaign um, not just because of the platforms that he was presenting, right, the groups he was coming from, et cetera, but also he did. He was like, I'm going to be the one who finally recognizes the genocide. And we like really believed him. We were all on board, you know. Um, <laughs> but unfortunately, we went through. Right, listen, <laughs> black folks, we can relate on a number I know, of things there's a ourselves. Lot of it's okay. <laughs> it's true. But, but you know. But he, he was one of the people, though, who actually promised, which I think was a step forward. You know, there was it, it started to become part of like the Democratic Party's platform in a different visibility way that I think we hadn't seen, for example, but in recent years. But I think the tide really turned in 2019. And that's when we got the House recognition of the Armenian genocide um, and the Senate recognition. And this was huge. And, and it came about in a very, very interesting geopolitical moment. Right where many things had to align. There were tons of people who came to me during this time and asked me, why is this happening now? Is this just to punish Turkey, et cetera, right? What was happening at the time was essentially Trump, who was destroying the US's credibility around the world, had given Turkey's mostly, I mean, incredibly authoritarian regime at the current day Turkish regime, basically a green light to go into Syria, and to essentially, you know, continue trying to eradicate the Kurdish struggle, which is happening today in Turkey. Um, and when that kind of happened, it awoke in a bipartisan kind of support also for Armenian genocide recognition. But I want to make clear, it's not, it's not only that that happened during that ge geopolitical timing, that coalesced with our decades of Armenian genocide recognition grassroots organizing, which had been building so far that we finally had that option available, right? I mean, the Armenian genocide within the United States, education and awareness around it, all of that has been built by people like us who are descendants and come from these families. 
we've had to build this because you don't learn it in your textbook, right? In the United States, you don't come into your classrooms and it's not there. So it's really this victory of the Biden recognition was built on the Senate win in 2019, which was built on the House win, which really was a victory of just decades of Armenian activism finally coming to fruition. I brought you on the show because I I always want to share with people how I understand the Caucasus because, you know, Armenia is a a Caucasus nation and there are so many elements of race, which you outlined, uh, you know, in, in, in talking about this, that a lot of Americans don't understand because again, as, as race is explained in America in the way that we construct it, I talk about the genocide. I talk about the abuses that, Ukrainians face under Russian imperialism and their colonialist um, activities. And there are a lot of people's remarks to me are, why are these white people fighting each other? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the, of, of, often what I get, what I tell them, I'm like, you know, first of all, the, the way that you, we think about whiteness in America, it doesn't function that way. And so, and I also tell them, well, you know, people in this region, they may not necessarily see themselves as Anglo white or, you know, people see themselves very differently. And so I have to. Yeah, you want to so, ask so a about lot of race. The Let's basic, do it. Let's do it. I'm into it. Yeah, I mean, re- no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But really, but a lot of people, I get it. But it took me being in the in that part of the world and living there to appreciate sure. it. Um, But it but for a lot of Americans, it's hard for them to break down. Why, why do you think that is? Well, I think for one, I think this is important, actually, the conversation around race. And I'll tell you why, because. I think all conversation about race everywhere is what what needs to be centered, to be honest. <laughs> but 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 you know, people in the region, especially in this free, especially in this region, and in, in my field, a lot of people like to push away and say this is a purely an American construct, and they and they really, I, I get a lot of resistance hmm. from people okay. who dare to think about this as a racial issue, even though we both know that it is. Yeah, but I think this is this is a great question. So for one, I mean, you should know, I'm also an ethnic studies teacher. And part of the reason why we need to understand ethnic studies is because race is a global phenomenon. That's the truth. I mean, and, and I think actually it's been a very orientalist view of especially this region, the quote East, right? And, th- and this term is always shifting, I promise you. Armenians, for example, my my grandparents, right, lived in an era who, who came from Armenian genocide refugee families, right? They lived in an era in the United States where Armenians were literally denied the ability to purchase properties because they were, quote, not Caucasian. So that shows you, right? Literally, the term caucus was used against them during that time because they were considered, quote, Orientals, Asiatics at the time. And actually, there was a huge, huge cases, Supreme Court cases to try and deny Armenian citizenship. So I'm happy to go into that one day, but this is what my work is actually about, is talking about the racial con- constructions of West Asians within the American context. So there's first that. The second ter- reality is that also how we talk about this region is in the American world, in the American imaginary, right? Not only is constantly shifting, but is constantly racialized, right? The Middle East, middle of where, east of where, right? <laughs> totally, I mean, it comes from a colonial legacy. The caucus. Okay, now we're calling this region the caucus. It used to be the post-Soviet world, you know. We used to call this the the second world. Now we're the third world. We're we're retiring. Now it's the global south, right? 
that the where does the Middle East start and end? Okay, Turkey. So I guess I'm Middle Eastern, right? Because we're from Turkey, but the Armenians on the other side of the border are Caucasian, right? Because they're right. These are you have to understand. Armenians are a nation, and they're a nation from this land. So it's hard for people to understand. But we're one of the indigenous groups that have crossed these borders. Always, it's never these borders are largely new within this region. How we think of ourselves, and this is very important because the nation state within the West is so important, right? It's like how you define your life. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is it's not. I mean, when people, when I say I'm Armenian, they're like, where are you from? Armenia? I'm like, no, I'm not from Armenia. And actually the majority of people in the world who are Armenians are not from the current borders of Armenia and people need to understand this. But this is important because what we're talking about are those important subjects that you're talking about, race. And race has national dimensions, it has ethnic dimensions, it has religious dimensions, you know? And so if we're talking about the Armenian genocide, talking about genocide anywhere, we're talking about racism. And that's what it is. If we're talking about today, how we view the Armenian genocide, right, within this context, the Ottoman Empire today has its, in every way, transitioned into the current Republic of Turkey. Okay, people think that these events just stopped at like 1923. But the modern nation state, the very nation state of Turkey today, is built on the confiscated capital of Armenians, right? By the millions, <laughs> their, their labor and literally their death. And we need to understand that you don't just have the disappearance of 1.5 million people at the foundation of the modern Middle East, right? And that affect nothing. It's affected everything, everywhere. There are, are racial tropes and, and structural violence to this day that continues throughout the region that uses these same logics. You can see it today in the Kurdish struggle in, in Turkey. Where my family's from, Vaughan, which is constantly referenced in this debate, okay, which is a, a, a part of Southeastern Turkey, is now the center of the Kurdish struggle within Turkey, okay? And constantly in the debates about Turkey and Armenia, right, their relationship, et cetera. Vaughn today is the center of the Kurdish struggle, not by coincidence. It is villainized as a, quote, terrorist haven by the Turkish government, exactly how my great-grandparents, who are part of the self-defense of Vaughn, were categorized at the time. As a matter of fact, if you want to talk about even U.S. and, and Turkey relations and how they've even affected American racial relations, the proto-terrorist lists, no joke, the terrorist watch list that we think of today, like the Muslim ban, which thousands of Armenians are impacted by, there was actually one that existed during the Ottoman Empire that affected Armenians. Just like today, the United States government and Iraq communicate about their own nationals to each other to hyper surveil them and to not let them move from country to country. That's actually what the Ottoman Empire was doing with Armenians. It was creating entire terrorist quote, watch lists of them and watching and monitoring those that were escaping to the United States and communicating with the United States government that they were not allowed to come back. So essentially Armenians were stuck, refugees who were stuck. And then the United States on the other hand was trying to deport them in mass because white nativist sentiment at the time did not want Armenian refugees here. And that's part of my family's history who's in California. And one of the reasons why you have such a big Armenian diaspora in California is because Armenians organized against these events. And they continue to to today. So it might seem complicated, but it's really not. I'll tell you this, okay? Armenians are at the crossroads of what were three empires, right? Essentially in this region, right? 
we're thinking about the Russian Empire, the Ottoman Empire, the Persian Empire, right? And Armenians have always crossed over those borders. They have always been a nation where all of these borders that continually, especially through the last hundred years, despite how they've been shifted, despite how Western men and imperialist men have drawn those borders over us, cutting our people literally in half, right? People on one side of the borders, people on the other side of the borders. Largely, Armenians have existed on this triangulation of land for thousands of years. And we have to know about not only us, but, but how this region is made up, you know? Because that's how we understand these geopolitical issues. You can't learn about them through the government and the top down. You have to learn about it from the people who are from the land. I become an Armenian uncle about this. I apologize. <laughs> I think it's important for us to realize that racism and white supremacy fucks us all, right? It, it, it makes no sense. And when I speak to Russians, Ukrainians, Georgians, Armenians, I'm normally the first and maybe only black person that they know, right? And when I talk about race, a lot of the Armenians and Georgians, they were my good friends because when I when we would be in Ukraine, for example, I would see them, well, it was mostly the Georgians because I speak Georgian, I understand Georgian. And when I would hear them on the streets, we would, we would, you know, I would say, hey man, what's up? I would speak to them in Georgian and it would be like, I'm like their buddy now, I'm their friend because I'm communicating in their language. And that night I'm over at their house. Armenians have a similar culture, you know, and, and so they were like, man, listen, we in this together. If anybody messes with you, man, we, you know, just call us up and we'll fuck them up. We'll do it together. So like they were like, they, <laughs> oh my like, gosh. but they, but they were, no, but they, but right. they there's, were my, crew there's because a camaraderie. There's a camaraderie because yeah. they said, basically when we go to Russia, we go to these Slavic nations, we're black too. And the Russian word is Jordan, forgive me. My um, lips are a little right. bit dry. It's, it's it's constructed like people, Armenians, etc. Azeris right. are constructed uh, through blackness through in blackness Russia. And through blackness in Russia. And what it speaks to is the fact that we, we share so much and we are stronger when we fight these systems of oppression together because they screw yeah. us all. Together. we right. and, and doing it together. And I'm happy that the recognition of the genocide finally happened and i am really happy for your activism i cheer on your activism i'm happy for you and i'm happy for your I'm family happy for you. thank you yeah thank i really you. am because this is something you know we're again we're all the, as humans together who are fighting this stuff this is a great accomplishment and right. you should feel really proud of everything you've done and i'm definitely going to bring you on so we can talk some more i would love that and i would i would just love thank you for sharing so much with me um i would just i just add you know i think it's brilliant what you're doing here how you're helping to also just communicate these really big issues you know what i'm saying to to people around the world it's brilliant and and i want to just tell you because you talked about being in it together you know and i think one of the best parts is we don't need to be the same right i would never claim that Armenians have had the same historical, um, you know, been been the recipients of the level of violence, for example, that black, black communities have across the world. I would never claim that. That's not what I believe. But I don't think we need to be the same to be in joint struggle, right? To be together, to be to helping each other, right? And to fight Absolutely. systems of racism, however they appear. And that's the most important thing is, you know, we need to be actively against 
racism, and the afterlife of genocide wherever it appears. And I got to share with you because it's been so heartwarming, honestly, to me. <laughs> I was at an Armenian genocide event last night with all these amazing young organizers, so many people, right? Brilliant, wonderful people. And you know what actually everyone's number one takeaway of the Biden recognition was? We all have to fight for US recognition of native genocide and black genocide in this country. That was literally every speaker. We didn't even prepare them. <laughs> they all came with that. It was like the second that this happened and we knew we had a platform, it was like, no, we're gonna help other people that have had literally the afterlife who are experiencing the afterlife of their own genocides in this country because we know the u.s has its own history and i only say that because anytime we have victories or wins as peoples right we need to also use those moments to bring attention to other people who are in some form of struggle this is very important and we finally you know armenians have been ignored they're ignored i promise 365 days of the year except for one day you know, on April 24th, because that's our commemoration day. And we're always doing this activism. It's not just that day, right? But when we have any type of the world's attention, like you're saying, it's the time to talk about different struggles of oppression. It's the time to elevate those things, to say that we're not going to be alone, that we're stronger together. And that's what they're afraid of, to be honest. That's what oppressive, oppressive systems are always afraid of. I, I actually love the fact that I could travel to this region and celebrate our differences and celebrate each other's humanity. That's what makes us powerful, right? It's not about melting people into this melting pot with the meltiest bullshit, which I, you know, you know, I, I don't really embrace that. What I embrace is people living in their existence as they are honoring their humanities through and through and us coming together to appreciate all that. That's the beauty of all this stuff. And so when you all are ready to formulate how we're going to fight this together, Hey, you, I'm, I'm already signed up. So you just let me know. Let's do it. Yeah, let's, let's do, do it. it. And so, no, there's a lot of yeah. us in these reparations campaigns. So exactly. let's do it on a bigger, on a bigger scale. scale. We got to do yeah, it. Yeah, that we can fight. We got to connect. We it. can fight for both. We can fight for each other's reparations. But thank you for coming on thank you so much. to the show. Thank you so, so much. Thank you all very much for listening to this week's episode of Black Diplomats Podcast. I appreciate you taking time to listen to me each week. Please go to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and give me a five-star rating. It really helps a lot. You can also go to Patreon and search under Black Diplomats and donate so we can continue giving you high-quality shows as well as expand the types of content that we produce. Research for this podcast cited the BBC and the New York Times. Before I go, I want to read part of Joe Biden's statement in recognizing the Armenian genocide because it rings true to why I think recognizing people's traumas and tragedies um, is important. And I quote from the statement. Of those who survived, most were forced to find new homes and new lives around the world, including the United States. With strength and resilience, the Armenian people survived and rebuilt their community. Over the decades, Armenian immigrants have enriched the United States in countless ways, but they have never forgotten the tragic history that brought so many of their ancestors to our shores. We honor their story.
we see that pain. We affirm that history. We do not do this to cast blame, but to ensure that what happened is never repeated. Talk to you next week.